Hello, and welcome to Learning for Life at Gustavus, the podcast about people teaching and learning at Gustavus Adolphus College and the myriad ways that Gustavus liberal arts education provides a lasting foundation for lives of fulfillment and purpose. I'm your host, Greg Castor, faculty member in the Department of History. In the summer of 2018, I was in Washington, D.C. for a two-week-long National Endowment for the Humanities Institute on Slavery and the Constitution. Having arrived and checked into the hotel, I had just walked out for dinner when the Institute's leader stopped me and said I needed to return to the lobby right away where they'd been speaking with a Gustavus alum I had taught. My first thought was that they must be mistaken. My second was, if they aren't, I hope the person is someone I'll be happy to see. They weren't mistaken, and upon re-entering the lobby, I was both quite surprised and thrilled to see Luann Hicks. Though 27 years had gone by since she graduated in 1991 with majors in history and studio art, we recognized one another instantly and had a wonderful time catching up over dinner. Luann, it turned out, was now by marriage Luann Big Bear, and to my delight, a fellow educator, with a master in teaching degree from the outstanding program at Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, and more than a decade of full-time high school teaching experience, most recently at Cedar High School in Shelton, Washington, where she teaches English, art, and social studies. Like me, she was in D.C. for an educational development institute, focused in her case on the Native Knowledge 360-degree education initiative of the National Museum of the Native uh, of the American Indian. Luann not only teaches Native students, but is also extensively involved in developing and facilitating teacher training in a Native-infused curriculum. Her work is innovative, timely, and important, and it's very much in keeping with Gustavus's own emphasis on justice, community, and, quote, preparing students for fulfilling lives of leadership and service in society. For all these reasons, I'm delighted and proud to speak with her on the podcast. So welcome, Luann. It's great to be with you again, even if only virtually this time. Thank you, Greg. It's great to be here. Uh, yeah, so good to hear you. So um, you just finished, it's what, two hours earlier where you are in Washington? Is that right? Or one or two hours? Two hours, right? Yeah, two hours. So it's only 327 here. And I've okay. been, I finished my teaching day at, well, officially around three, but we have students um, right up till 235. Okay. Well, let's start with your, your day. I mean, how, first of all, how is it going teaching uh, there in Washington, which of course had a, had a rough uh, time early on in the COVID pandemic? Are you teaching in person or hybrid or a mix? Or, or I guess that is hybrid, <laughs> in person or online only. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've actually, um, in the school district I'm in, we have been teaching online ever since COVID really hit. So right okay. around mid-March, um, we went into lockdown as a whole state. And and that has been a journey in and of itself, because when <laughs> we first started teaching through the online model, I was very familiar with Google Classroom and had already familiarized my students with it. So that piece was in place. But that's still a very um, stagnant way of learning. Like I could post you know, videos and text and, and students could write and respond, but it's a bit dry. Um, sure. and, then, and then this fall, uh, our district decided to make, uh, they were very concerned about equity and the types of things kids were being exposed to. So they actually paid uh, probably too much money for an online program uh, called K-12 curriculum. And the very first, we're on a trimester system and the first trimester we were uh, facilitating that curriculum. Um, and I, I'm not gonna 
publicly admonish that curriculum, but mm-hmm. but it wasn't it, it it wasn't engaging for a lot of our students. And um, so, because I am actually part of this brand new high school, it's called Cedar High School. Uh, we went to the district and requested to break from all these other ways of teaching and start to implement what we see as our vision at Cedar High School, which is to have very, um, ultimately when we're in person, it's it, one of our tenants is collaboration. Actually the Cedar name stands for what we are, is a collaboration. Um, of course, now I'm not gonna remember it on <laughs> in this situation. Oh, collaboration, engagement, um, diversity, agency and respect. That's Oh, that's cool. Yeah, those are our five um, kind of goals and, and things that we focus on as a school. And so what that meant as far as online teaching and how that changed is we now, I now um, work with another teacher. I have a co-teacher and we create, we use a system called Echo, which is a just a nice system for, um, it keeps, it we post agendas and all of our students will send their assignments into echo. It's just a great place. And that's all under this network called the new tech network, which is a international, um, well, mostly national, but I think they extend to Australia now as well. And they're a nonprofit organization who helps schools, uh, work within this kind of, um, well, it's called new tech for a reason. It was, uh, invented or they came about in the early nineties, Um, And the idea was, you know, to incorporate technology into teaching and learning. And what it's really turned into over time is to facilitate project-based learning and very learning that's based in in what's happening right now and and how to engage our students with real life problems and issues. And um, we are and I will say the minute we switched over to teaching with two teachers, Zooming interactively with our students for the entire class period. Um, my life changed 100% for the better, and I think for our students as well. We now That's have, all fantastic. That's just great. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were going to say something. You now have what? Just that it's been an interesting evolution for me as a teacher. Like, I've, I just... I finally yes. feel like I'm in a, an online world that I can I can at least live with for a while. It's not, right. ideal, but it's much better than it was. It sounds it sounds it sounds great. Actually, I'm a little envious. I admit. Um, the other thing is, I want to come back to that later because I think you you've been involved with um, what's it called New Tech. You've been involved with that, right? Doing project learning and training or something. I saw. We yeah. Talk, yeah. Talk a bit more about that when we. When yeah. Later. In fact, I think um, back when I ran into you. Uh, that was sort of the beginning of our, our principal tasked. So I'll explain the, cho- I came from Choice High School, which is um, an alternative high school. And we had multi, like something like seven or nine programs, all meeting different students' needs. But we were tasked by our superintendent to take what, what we call just our day program, which is a lot like a traditional high school program, and, and figure out a way to really elevate it um, and and make it more engaging and more exciting. I think we were doing a fabulous job of meeting um, kids' needs, uh, because often when a kid comes to, and I say kid, a student, when a student comes to an alternative high school, it's for a lot of different reasons. And um, often it's just, they they feel like they're not being heard in a larger environment. And so one of the things I think we've always done well is really work with individuals and and help students grow but I do I'm a firm believer that we are now on to this we've now 
launched a new school amidst a pandemic, but there are some <laughs> exciting things along with that. We are creating a partnership with Olympic College, which is a small community college um, satellite campus in Shelton, Washington. Okay. Um, and so that's actually probably where the, like, so right now we're sort of a school without a building. <laughs> um, I mean, we technically could use the building we were in, uh, but we are looking at creating a school next door to this college so that we're really working with students and creating opportunities for them to have take a college class while they're in high school and and, and start to see their future in a really um, manageable way. That's really great. Is this um, so is this school um, where you're at now, Cedar, is it is it like a magnet school or an alternative school or experimental or all of the above? I think I think our superintendent would like to see it become a magnet school. Um, okay. You know, we're enough out of the Seattle. We're, we're about two hours from Seattle. Um, but believe it or not, that that urban area is just sprawling more and more and more. And Shelton is still what I would consider a fairly rural area. But it is. But but Olympia has grown immensely in the time I've lived here. And I see that that sprawl is going to start eking its way into Mason County where I'm working as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And our, our traditional high school is overflowing. So it is time for us to have um, not just a bigger high school, but a new, a school that's a little unique and new and, and will draw hopefully a lot of students um, over to our school right now. Yeah, in a, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. To say we, we're pretty small right now. <laughs> Well, I was going to ask you how how big what 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 roughly is the size of the, the student body? <laughs> Only because well, we're in a pandemic and we yeah. started in a pandemic. We're still, how, well. How many how many students are there at at Cedar? Would you say roughly? Right now, we only have 67 students. Oh, really like, small, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. really super small, and we have about seven staff. So we're, okay. we're de the kids are getting an A-plus education as far yeah, as No possible. kidding, and then you as a teacher get to be on the kind of the ground floor and build it, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, what about, what's the, what's the student demographic like? So the demographic in Shelton, Washington is still predominantly you know, European American. Uh, however, Shelton is um, the town itself exists right between two uh, Native American reservations. So, right north of Shelton is the Skokomish Reservation or the Skokomish Nation. I, to be more respectful, I should say the Skokomish Nation. Um, and right south of um, the of Shelton proper, there it's the Squaxin Island Nation. Um, and so, those two tribes actually are enormous contributors to to education in in our school district um in fact and little like uh the squaxin island tribe is actually one of the biggest employers in mason county as well this is uh historically um i mean very historically obviously it was all native and then um sure. and then Dave, i think his name was david shelton is who the town was named after which is interesting because he actually didn't want the name town named after himself. He preferred the term Coda, which I still haven't quite gathered what what that term, what that name means. But it is the name of a street in our town. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's, it's it's an interesting history with historical like the tension between a lot. It's also 
was primarily built to be a logging community. Logging, yeah, that's what yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I've never been there. I've never been to Washington State, which I, I cannot believe. I want to go, obviously, especially when you're there. That would be so much fun. Oh, maybe I can come and do a guest lecture. <laughs> so Absolutely. Here we go. Figured it out. Boondoggle. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was so, I was truly, so it was just so great to run into you. And that was, by the way, the start, you know, but for listeners, that was the start of a whole series of um, wonderful kind of run-ins with people I hadn't seen in such a long time. Some of them Gustavus alums, one of them a, a person who works at the um, New African American uh, History Culture Museum, who, who I'd gone to graduate school with. I hadn't seen him in such a long time. Anyway, but it was so much fun, and I was so proud and excited that you, you know, you're an educator. That's really what you are. But before we talk more about that, let's go back in time, so to speak, and talk a little bit about where you grew up and um, how you wound up at Gustavus. So I grew up in rural southwest Minnesota, Tracy, Minnesota, to be more precise. Um, and I, I reached the age of, let's see, well, when I was a junior in high school, I, I loved where I grew up. And it was sort of magical to have all that space and wide open farm living. But I also got stir crazy. I was a teenager who wanted out. And so <laughs> I became an exchange student in Germany my last year of high school. And while I was there, my mom and dad kept pressing me, where are you going to school? Where are you going to school? And I'll be very frank. I had only ever visited Gustavus Adolphus College because my boyfriend's girlfriend or what? No, my boyfriend's sister had graduated there and I had a sweatshirt. And so when my mom asked me where I wanted to go to college, I looked down at my sweatshirt and said, I'd like to go to Gustavus. <laughs> Great story. I love it. Oh, my God. That's fabulous. Yeah. And, 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 and you did. You really did. And um, I really did. Yeah. So um, how far is Tracy from from St. Peter where Gustavus is? It's not that far, right? It's not that far. It's about two and a half hours, I think. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, about yeah. two hours. Yeah. And so, the laundry home on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's about what it was. I went to Northern Illinois University in DeKalb, so it was about an hour and maybe an hour and a half or so, 75, whatever, from where I where I had grown up. But so you came to Gustavus. I don't recall when we met, if it was what year it was when we met, but I know, know we've known, known you for a long time, um, early on in your career there. Did you come already knowing you wanted to major in art or studio art? I, I assume you didn't know you wanted to major in history. <laughs> and then you make a fabulous assumption. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was pretty passionate about art and knew I wanted to major in art. That was secure. But I also knew that that might not be the wisest long-term plan. Um, I know art, art is a very challenging world to live in and navigate. So I was I was adamant that I wanted to double major. And I think initially I thought that might be in psychology. Um, oh, yeah. But then I'll be, I know exactly when I met you and you may not remember because I was just one of many of your freshman students. Um, but the first oh. first one, uh, history 101 with Greg Caster, you walked in and changed my world. Um, uh -oh. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And I'm not and I'm not just saying that because. <laughs> Uh, it, it's true. Uh, you you made you had such dynamic lessons. You had us reading such awesome literature, um, and you just woke me up. Like it's like I had never really realized all the struggles um, that so many people have gone through to create a world that's somewhat equitable. And we still have a lot of work to go to do. We do. 
Well, you're you're very kind, and you you're you're making my day. Of course, I mean, what teacher you know? You're a teacher. What teacher doesn't love to hear hear that? Um, so thank you. Yeah, and so that must have been the sur the U.S. Survey course, probably. I um, think so. Yep. Yeah, and that would have been what eighty. I came in eighty. That would have been not long after I actually not long after I had started. Kate, my wife, Kate, and I had started at Gustavus. You graduated in. It would have been. I started in eighty seven. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my gosh. So that would have been my my uh, maybe my first or second year at the most at Gustavus. Wow, that's been so I've known you a long time. My gosh, it's like thirty three years. That's awesome. So you you um, tell us a little bit about the kind of art you were already doing when you came to Gustavus. So, I, I mean, like a, I shouldn't say typical high schooler, but I, I, I kind of, I was, I was very passionate about drawing, but I was mostly just drawing images that were, that I'd see in magazines or that I found interesting. I did a lot of, I think, copying, if you will. Um, but I, I, I always support that as far as learning how to process and make and just be involved in drawing and artwork. And I really continued that at Gustavus. In fact, um, I wanted to become better at painting. Um, I, ne I, f I never did feel like I kind of earned that badge while I was at Gustavus. So I, I did continue taking art classes after I graduated from Gustavus. And that's actually how I ended up um, living in, well, yeah, it's, it's how I ended up living in South Dakota after I graduated a few years later. I remember, I seem to remember looking at, um, I definitely remember your drawings, which were fantastic. Um, would I be, am I misremembering looking, would I have seen some paintings by you? I don't know if they were watercolor when you were a student at Gustavus. You probably did some paintings, right? I, I did do some paintings. Um, I And I think they would have mostly been acrylic or oil paint. Oh, yes. No, acrylic. That's what they were. Acrylic. Exactly. Yes. That's what they were. I can see. Yeah. Um, both Kate and I loved what you were doing in your art. And I know we... we um, I don't remember whether I went to the senior show or not. I hope I did. <laughs> Your senior I show. I don't remember either. It's yeah, okay. Well, it's a long time ago. <laughs> but you know, you um, you were really you you were amazing. Your art and the way you combine art and history. You were you were passionate about both. Um, from from you know when you when you weren't taking classes, <laughs> what else were you up to? Tell us a little bit about some of your some of your uh, shall we say non academic or non curricular memories of the place. Well, I certainly can say that the the I love the campus of Gustavus and I I was a student who lived on campus even my senior year um the only year I didn't live there was when I was an exchange student my junior year uh but it was really about the people um I, I didn't land the best or I shouldn't say without saying anything negative about my freshman roommate we just did not make we did not see eye to eye and so <laughs> I was sort of fast I was really wondering one day I was dreaming of the perfect roommate and then I met I ran into this amazing person at Gustavus named Vicki Stry and she looked at me and before I even got it out of my mouth she said would you like to be my roommate next year and I, I couldn't even believe it it's like she read my mind and I will say that Vicki um, if anyone has had the opportunity to know who she is, um, sadly, she passed of ALS in 2011. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, it was a really hard one. But she made, she just makes everything fun and always did. And so what, the minute she became my roommate, even my date, my moments outside of class were fun and creative and exciting. Um we, you know, whether it was going to the happy chef and writing papers all night long to um, <laughs> 
to, you know, we had like little contests in the dorms, you know, we won the Christmas contest and things like that. She just had a way of making everything fun. So we, I, I really enjoyed the camaraderie at Gustavus a lot. Was she, was she your roommate all four years? She was my roommate for my, well, so I, I did make it through freshman year with the roommate I didn't necessarily get on with very well. And then we, um, and she was my roommate my sophomore year and my senior year, but my junior year was spent in England, so I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that too in a minute. Yeah, I forgot right that you you mentioned you alluded to that. The um, you know, it's amazing what you said, and again, it echoes what so many people have said on this podcast, whether they're uh, you know, faculty talking about what their experiences when when they first came to Gustavus, but that sense of um. The people, right, and connecting with people. I, I, have, I remember that vividly. I have such a powerful memory of that coming to campus and, and just thinking, oh, my God, this is so different from the previous place I interviewed at, but in, in a much better way. Um, so, you know, that I used to think, ah, we just talk about that kind of stuff. You know, it's just rhetoric. But it must be real because so many of us have, have had that same experience. So whatever it is, um, Gustavus has it. But, you know, um, the other thing you you did is, yeah, you went to England. And tell us a little bit about that. Was that Oxford? I'm trying to remember. Is that where you it, were? It was. Yeah. And thanks, thanks to you and Kate for not flunking me because I probably <laughs> – I, I had gone through a – you know, I was young and I, I was a little emotional and I'd been through a breakup. I broke up with my high school boyfriend of all yes. things. And then I suddenly wasn't able to turn in the final, I think is what happened. But I anyway, remember it. <laughs> um, but yes, you still supported me. Um, I had applied to go to study for at Oxford for a year and through Gustavus, it was this amazing exchange program they had. I hope they still have it. I don't know if they do, but um um, I did that, and it, and that also was just one of the most fantastic years of my life. Uh, and to have that opportunity through Gus Davis was, I, I couldn't believe that there wasn't a line around the block applying for that. But I think a lot of people are just afraid of adventure, and I will say that I. I tend not to be. <laughs> I don't know whether we have that specific program. I know uh, what I do know is that. Um, I would say, I mean, today, many, many student, Gustavus students go abroad, and we have fantastic programs. Um, and as you, as you experienced, they're transformative, right? They change people's lives. It was true of me when I went to Mexico as an undergraduate for just half a year. Um, yeah. So you'd be, you'd be happy as an alum to know that. I mean, the, the international, you know, pre-COVID, obviously, the internet, but the international ed is just thriving. Were you, when you went to Oxford, were you studying art as well there? Or what were you, do you remember what you were doing? So I didn't, I don't, re I, I didn't take a studio art class, but the beautiful thing about there was I did a lot of art history and, and that sure. equated with, I would just be told to go down the, just walk down the road and go to the museum and study artwork. And, and that was like my weekly assignment was just be to go to a new section and study the artwork. And so what a, what a gift. I mean, yeah. It was amazing. It was. It really is a gift. Um, and you just reminded me, I recorded recently with, um, uh, you probably didn't know, Don Myers, who there's now, because there was no art museum at Gustavus when you were there. We now have the Hillstrom Art Museum, and Don is an alum and, and the director. And um, yeah, just talking about museum work and art museums and their, their importance. We're so lucky to have one on campus. But yeah, I, re I do remember, I remember the whole, the whole sort of crisis and that you got through it, though. Um, so good for you. You're resilient. But then so tell us a little bit about what what, what happened uh, in the in the immediate years following your graduation. What did you wind up doing? 
Yeah, so I graduated from Gustavus and was moving to the city. So I moved into a little one-bedroom apartment with another um, classmate from Gustavus. And we we moved into um, not a, well, I will say it was a very affordable apartment and therefore uh, not exactly the lowest crime area of Minneapolis. <laughs> I think we we're on First Avenue, but I couldn't tell you which part. Oh, Franklin. Franklin oh. and First. Oh, no, not yes. I know it well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember the first night I moved in, I watched someone break into a car and I went, right. oh, wow, okay. And it was my first experience with cockroaches. I'd never had to live with those. So oh, yes. needless to say, um, I also discovered that while I wanted to be a city girl, that country girl in me is really strong. And, and so I only lasted until about Christmas. In fact, I think I think my folks helped me move back home in a snowstorm. I, I know it was because they we loaded up my dad's truck and then had to get a hotel in Shakopee. So, um, and that's okay because I, it was a good, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I learned that lesson. And then from there, I, I, I just went home for a minute and tried to reorient myself, like, what am I doing? And I was still very interested in pursuing art um, and actually just pushing myself. I wanted to be a more confident painter. Mm -hmm. And so initially I took a few more classes just at Southwest Minnesota. Um, I don't I think it has a different name now, but there's a little community college in Marshall, Minnesota, which is near where I grew up. And then and then I ended up. Um, traveling to Vermilion, South Dakota to visit a friend. And I actually traveled there in a snowstorm and it scared the living bejesus out of me. And I, and I decided if, if visiting this friend and that at that point, it was someone I was dating was so important to me. I was, I wasn't going to risk my life, but I also, <laughs> wasn't, our relationship wasn't, was still very new. And so I didn't want to move there just for him. So I, I marched myself into the art room in Vermilion, South Dakota, at the University of South Dakota, and I was amazed at what they had going on there. And it, I, to this day, that is one beautiful art building. Um, they, there's just a lot of energy in that little town in South Dakota. That's neat. So I, yeah, yeah. And I, so I, I spent many years living in Vermilion. Um, not making a ton of money. I just kind of did the artist lifestyle. I, I worked as a barista, managed a coffee shop, played in bands and made art. And it was fun. <laughs> were you taking courses too, studying there at the I university? Was, you yeah, were. I, yeah. I took, I constantly, I was just always doing part-time, but I was always taking art classes. Yeah. And that's yes. actually how I ended up meeting Gary, my husband. Oh, okay, yeah, the, go ahead. I was just going to ask you about that, your current husband, Gary Big Bear. Yeah, tell us a little yeah. bit about that. So I know it's I, a sweet story. <laughs> yeah, when I first arrived, and in fact, it was the very first uh, two-dimensional design class, I think was the name of it or something. Um, there was this guy that showed up in the class and now I keep in mind I was in a relationship and I believed him to be in a relationship so everything was just, we were just friends um and but I was drawn to Gary because I really his art spoke to me and I saw a lot of similarities in his approach to line and expression his expressiveness um so I just related to his artwork meanwhile he claims that I was the only one in the class who really would um just treated him like a normal person because he is Native American and had come up, had, you know, 
South Dakota, Nebraska, that area, depending on who you're talking to, there was there was a lot of animosity um, that mm -hmm. Gary had faced in his life. And so he was just really happy to be my friend. And we um, were friends for years. Uh, and then eventually my relationship ended and then his relationship ended. And then one day he just looked at me and said, are you seeing anybody? And it, and it was actually the very first time I'd even considered him as more than a friend. Um, nice. Yeah. And then the craziest thing happened in that I was also, you know, so now it's my late twenties and I've met this guy that I really like. And, um, I was figuring out my own identity because while I grew up in Minnesota, I am also an adopted person and I didn't have any information on my background. And it took me until I was 29 years old to get the guts to write a letter to the adoption agency and just say, mm -hmm. hey, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> and what they actually did was they I had written a letter to my birth mom that they forwarded to her. And then I was invited to. Washington um, uh, to spend Christmas with my birth family. And in the process of learning who my birth family was, lo and behold, I learned that my, my birth grandparents had raised Gary's cousin as their own. That's and amazing. It's amazing. And it doesn't make any sense. You know, like, <laughs> that That's good. No it, means, it means you were destined to meet one another. That's what it means. <laughs> That's the story we've always taken. You yeah, know? no, it's true. That's so cool. The, um, you know, by the way, so um, with, with the adoption, how did, are you, you just, you just indicate as an adoptee that you want to meet your biological parents and then it goes forward from there or? Yeah. So uh, Peg, my birth mom had the option of, you know, she, she could have refused the letter. She could have opted to return the letter. And, and in fact, what she ended up doing was just calling me. So I got home nice. from work one day on a Saturday and the phone rang. Suddenly I was talking to my birth mom and it was just bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> it was That's bizarre. Yeah. But what about, but, did you, did you discover you have siblings as well or? I did. In fact, I discovered I have, Oh, now the story gets even crazier. Um, I have a full blooded brother and he lives in Houston, Texas. Um, and I have a sister. So my mom had a relationship with my birth father that obviously did not end after my adoption. <laughs> and in <laughs> fact, she moved to Mankato, Minnesota. She, she flew from Washington, the state of Washington to Minnesota to give me up for adoption in secrecy. And then my, and part of that was because my birth father worked, had just gotten a job at 3M. He was, a a chemist and, and, and he still is alive. So he's still, he's not working anymore. He's retired, but he lives in the St. Paul area. Um, and anyway, their affair continued. And, and so she ended up having my, my birth brother and then their relationship ended and she ended up marrying his brother. So my sister is actually more than my sister. Too. <laughs> I know it's, it's a crazy scandal. It's story. complicated. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I thought I, I sometimes used to think we had a complicated, uh, my family because my brother met his wife, uh, at, Kate's at my wedding and his wife is Kate's cousin. So <laughs> not quite, not quite in the same league as your story, but, but yeah. you know, 
these connections are amazing. So um, you and Gary, um, are, you and I, I'm thinking you're concentrating poverty, right? Two artists falling in love. And, and by the way, friendship, you, you know, that's what Kate always says, you know, it's better to be friends first. That's important. So I think that's, that's, that, that, that's a good foundation, but you guys, you, you're both artists. And then when did you start to become, you know, interested in, in, in teaching and becoming an educator? Yeah, well, one of my one of my first jobs beyond being a barista. So I will say that I should have done more more uh, actual planning of careers when I was at Gustavus, but I was young <laughs> and didn't really think ahead too far. Um, but I, I started. I worked for a short, uh, maybe almost two years, but I worked in Sioux City, Iowa, at a residential treatment facility um, for kids. I mean, everything from emotional issues to addiction issues. Um, and they, they actually attended school in this, it was an old, uh, hospital building that had been kind of renovated to be this facility for, for kids that were having really hard times. And while I was there, I was, I watched their education and I was, sadly, I was really disappointed in the education they were being given in the facility. The facility itself was great. And the I think the counselors were great and so much of it was really positive, but the, the actual education these kids were getting made me sad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I watched a teacher tell the kids that, that um, animals don't have emotion and therefore they don't really love you. And I, all I could think is you uh, didn't realize that some of these kids might, that might be the only love they've ever had. Yeah, that, that's a great point. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's an excellent point. Yeah. So, um, so that uh, sparked me to just, start seeing myself as a potential teacher and keep in mind that I had, I saw myself as a teacher when I was in kindergarten and I never really lost that idea, but I also wanted to live life and experience it a little before I got into um, the responsibilities of an educator. Cause I personally could not have been a teacher right out of college. I wasn't <laughs> you know what? I'm, go I'm going to agree with you, Luann, on that one. <laughs> I, I will second that. <laughs> but on the other hand, all those life experiences also make one a better teacher, I think. And so from there, what happened? Did you start, did you actually enroll in um, education degree programs or what? Well, we, Gary and I, at this point in our relationship, we're both wishing that we could move to Washington. And yet it wasn't really a feasible plan quite yet. We hadn't figured out all the nuts and bolts. And then, you know, connections, connections are powerful. And we actually ran into a really a friend of a friend um, who invited us to house it for her in Olympia, Washington. Um, and it was just like the gift from the gods. Uh, so we packed up our lives and moved out here in 2002. Um, and, and just, and, and along with that, I had, I had visited the Evergreen State College briefly on a road trip in the early nineties. So I, I was very familiar with the school and had a lot of um, regard for it. So I applied for their master's in teaching program once I established residency in Washington okay. and then was happily accepted and um, can honestly say it was a really challenging but good program. They worked my they worked me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a, I mean, for, well, I, you, it's a well-known program, but isn't the focus, there's a focus on social justice and, and I mean, it's pretty innovative, right? Talk, talk a little bit about that program. Yeah. Uh, it is very social justice based. And I would say Evergreen State College is 
in general, that's one of the right. main, one of their main goals as a school. Yes. Um, and we, uh, so I had the, our, our cohort of, I think we started with over maybe 35 students and we had three faculty and uh, it was a tough enough program. It was, we did a ton of work around social justice and, and learning about all you know, all the inequities in education. We did not just one student teaching um, opportunity, but we you do two in that program, at least you did at that point in time. Um, we also wrote a pretty extensive master's paper. We did not do our own research, We did, but we gathered research um, to support our own um, beliefs, or, or not beliefs, our thesis. <laughs> That's what we were supporting. Um, and I learned, you know, from that, I learned that the key to education is really having adults interested. Uh, you know, a lot of our kids just don't have enough adults in their lives to really support them. And the more adults you can put in a student's lives, the more apt they are to succeed. Wow, that's a fabulous point. That's a superb, superb insight. Um, and hard earned, it sounds like, too, through all that work. What and, and so um, when you when, when did you develop your interest in, in, in sort of what you call or what the pros call native infused curriculum? Was that was that almost from the start at Evergreen State or, or did that develop gradually? Well, um, I could I could actually link this all the way back to Gustavus in that I did take one. I think it was a sociology class. But it was a class where we focused primarily on Native American studies. And and I remember the first day the teacher saying, put your books away, put your pencils away. We're here to learn and respect the way of the past and the way of the present for for oral for an oral culture. Mm. And it was it was mind blowing. I'd never really thought about how how strong an oral culture is and how good memories are when you come from that culture. So I, I think, I mean, it's just anecdotal, but I've noticed in my own relationship with Gary over the years, like his, or his memory for things is, is really outstanding. And I find that a lot in, in different groups that come from strong oral cultures. I don't know. That, that was just, but I digress. Um, or I go, Anyway, so that was sort of the seed. I became very fascinated with Native American culture at that point, and then that became okay. further supported when I lived in um, Vermilion, South Dakota. There's a high percentage of Lakota and uh, people living there, as well as the Winnebago people of Nebraska often will take classes at USD. Um, and then I came out here, and really, I, I mean, I did some work around that while I was in, in grad school, but Ultimately, it, it came to my first job interview, um, and this also connections Carmen Hoover, who is a uh, professor at Olympic College here in Shelton, is the person who invited us to house it for her. So she let me know that there was this position open called um, Early College for Native Youth. Okay. At, and that was a, a Bill Gates grant um, that was in many schools across the nation in the early 2000s. And I can't, I don't, I can't speak to how that grant um, panned out everywhere, but I can honestly say that I started working in within that grant. The grant money ran out, you know, 12 years ago or so, but to this day, we still have a relationship with Olympic College. And I do teach um, an early college for Native youth class to this day. Um, 
and and yeah, that's kind of how that came to be. That's a success story, it sounds like to me. Um, that's a good point. We sometimes don't we we don't know or we assume eh, that money was spent and nothing came of it, but that that's clearly not the case in what you're describing. The um, you know when we met. Um, as I said, I was so excited to see you and, and, and start to catch up. Um, but you were there for this, as I mentioned in the intro, this sounds like really cool programs called Native Knowledge 360 Degrees. And it, it's, it, it's an initiative, right, of the museum itself. Is that right? The American Museum of the American Indian? It is. Um, yeah. And I, I'd already was fascinated with Native American history and, and creating curriculum. All the curriculum that I, I've taught over the years was curriculum created by Carmen and myself, and um, we consulted with both of the tribes here as well to make sure we were keeping mm -hmm. everything um, above board. And then this opportunity came in an email, you know, that they were there was an opportunity to study at the Museum for the Native American, um, or Museum of the Native American Indian, I apologize. Yep. Uh, yeah, and I, so I applied and I was just so thankful to be accepted and, and it was like winning the, it felt a little bit like winning the lottery because it, <laughs> you know, I just had to, I think the district, my district supported me getting there and then the, the museum put us up in that hotel where I met you <laughs> right and uh, it was phenomenal. It was a really, um, the curriculum that they have created and are continuing to create is all free. It's all available on their website. And so when people and I've had educators say, oh, you know, I really want to do more of that. Um, most states now mandate that you are teaching Native American history in multiple subjects. And, um, you know, so I get educators ask me, well, well, how do I, you know, I don't know. I don't have enough history. I don't know. The, I don't know how to be a, to do this in a culturally sensitive manner. And I just say, go to that website and use their curriculum. It's solid. You know, it'll walk you through everything. Is it a curriculum that's, it's, it includes, I assume, not just history, but, but other art, culture, I mean, all of it? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. And I'd say mostly culture and it is a lot of history though. It's more, okay. it's mostly history based. Well, that's with good. That makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so you were there, um, and, and so tell us a little bit about the, the, I mean, the purpose of the program in D.C. when you were there. Was it to, one, I suppose, acquaint you with the um, with the, the curriculum or their initiative and then to kind of make you, what, a, 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 I don't know, what, a proselytizer for it or a facilitator of it? Yeah, I would say facilit a facilitator. They, they very much did want us to not just come home and keep it all to ourselves. Sure. So I did in that, especially in that first year after I got back, I collaborated with, it just was by luck that a person in a neighboring school district had also been to DC with me. So she and I got together and we did a few different um, trainings around both at a state level and just in an, a more regional area level um, training on that curriculum. And and I guess I haven't been actively well. Well, now we're in a pandemic, so I haven't been doing that. But <laughs> but I certainly I certainly back it. It's it's good. It's good stuff. Do you find um, this may be a hard question to answer? And feel free to dodge it. Um, but do you find? I mean, I wonder. What, do you find your relationship with Gary, your marriage with Gary? Is that is that at all influence how you approach teaching Native American history? Yeah, um, you know it's. I'm always honest with my students. I always say, I know I have the name Big Bear, but I am a non-native, you know, in my, right. in my 
both in my heritage and in my upbringing. And yet I've, I also have been in a relationship with Gary since 1993. You know, that's when I met him as a friend. So I, I mean, and I'd have to really ask my students, but my students seem very open to um, just my honesty and they, but they also know that I sort of get it. Uh, certainly living with a person of color, a person who has navigated, you know, ext- all the kinds of atrocities that you can experience when you're a person of color and sadly in this nation, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, it, it has changed my perspective. It mostly has just made me very um, aware of my own privilege and has, and I feel I have an ex- a very enormous responsibility to utilize what privilege I have to help, um, you know, I guess proselytize, if you will. You know, I, I just want my students, and whether they're native or non-native, I want my students to understand that every place we stand in this nation once was native land. And, right. and it's our, and it's, you know, we can't fix the past. We can't, but we can, I always say that by knowing the past, we can begin to heal from the past. Mm. You're making me smile here. I'm so proud. That's spoken like a that's spoken like a history major. <laughs> yeah, that's the hope, right? Does Gary? I mean, does Gary ever come to speak to the students about his own background and, and story? Yeah, um, mostly Gary loves Gary loves to talk art. Uh, you know, his personal experiences. I certainly know a lot about. Um, he's probably. And in a small group, he might be more willing to share some of those stories, but he is a, he is a fantastic speaker. In fact, I love to go, like, for example, he, he often does an adjunct teaching position at the Evergreen State College in their Native Pathways program. And I go to hear his lectures because I always learn something new about my husband and it always blows me away. That's great. That's cool. That's another secret, by the way, to a happy marriage, I might add, is always learning something new, usually good stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. The yeah. um so, you know, you're you know, I'm not sure I would have, you know, going back to a comment you made, I know you were only only maybe only half kidding, but I'm not sure I would have predicted at the time that you would wind up doing what you do as a teacher. Uh, and I know you're so good at it. What, what is it you find so, so rewarding? And, and you know, you're teaching, it's high school kids, right? I mean, what, ninth through 12th yep, grade? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I think of myself in high school, I think, oh my God, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to inflict myself on a, on a teacher. But anyway, um, and thank God I had so many great high school teachers. But what, what is it, what is it about teaching that you find rewarding? Well, I just, I remember my teen years like they were yesterday, I think because I did think they were really hard. And that is actually why I decided to teach high school is I thought I would at least understand where my kids were coming from. And, uh, but I, I guess the re wait, do you mind repeating your question? <laughs> yeah, what, what, what you find rewarding about it? I mean, because because teaching it's oh. it's easy to talk about the challenges, you know, and the mm-hmm. the downsides of it. But what 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 do you find so so rewarding about it? I love I love interacting with teens. Um, I love seeing their. I love hearing their opinions. I like hearing, you know, their take on the world. I, we have so many amazing. Um, young people growing up in this nation and just to be able to work with them is a privilege. Um, I, I don't know. I just, 
I just have always had a hard time not teaching with my heart. You know, that's a huge part of how I how I work and yes. and students respond to it or seem to. And I'm not perfect. You know, I'm certain I, that not every student of mine has been my fan, but it's certainly wonderful when you get them coming back and saying, no, you did make a difference. Right. Or, or there was a time when I received an email where a, a student, a former student actually let me know that I had I had intervened at a time in his life that prevented him from suicide. And mm. I, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but to hear those stories is it's, it, it just sort of, it makes you feel good to know that you maybe have made a difference. A yeah, no, couldn't agree more. And, um, and you are making a difference. There's no question about that. And yeah, it, uh, trustee, I know Gustavus trustee said that one of his professors at the Warren school used to talk about the psychological, maybe echoing, consciously or not W.E.B. Du Bois, but the psychological wages of teaching, you know, and when you get those emails, right, or you meet, as we did when you run into alums or, you know, arrange to meet alums, it's so, it's so gratifying. Um, you know, I want to, before we conclude, I want to, I want to ask you a bit about the new, new tech, is that what it's called, the new tech mm -hmm. uh, projects you've done? Tell us a little bit about what, I mean, tell us a little bit about what you've done there. I, I confess I've been a little, um, well, how should I put it, resistant to, to the idea of project-based learning. But talk to us a little bit about what, what that involves, what you've been up to with that organization. Yeah, well, um, I found in, in high schools that, the you know, kind of the way we've taught students for years, it works for a lot of kids. It does. You know, reading, responding, hearing interesting lectures, all of those things work. But, you know, we also have a lot of students that aren't being successful in that model. And so I'm not saying that project-based learning is for everyone, but I certainly am finding it a dynamic and exciting way to work with students who are buying into it. Um, so, for example, we right now I have students working on um, creating pu public art models for the town of Shelton. Shelton's a oh, town. Yeah, it's cool, right? Very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and we had we had them zoom with our you know a person from our city council, a person from the radio station, and a person from the museum that's here in Shelton, and and an, and a local artist. So our students were exposed to you know, the people in high places in the community. Um, and we are going to hopefully show them the final products and are, you know, it's just a way to get kids excited and, and working on something that seems meaningful. It's not just art in a box. It's art. Right. Purpose, you know? And yeah. And they're even starting, it sounds like in that case, starting to make some connections or learn, you know, about professional life and, you know, you know, you're already starting to convince me because I realize just listening to you, I think what my problem is, <laughs> I don't mean to be confessional here, but, um, you know, I really did not like group groups as a kid or even as an adult. Like when I hear get into groups, I, oh God. And I know, um, and maybe that's, you know, because I communicate that dislike, like I get feedback from students, you know, oh, we didn't like the group. So-and-so didn't do any work, but that's different than what you're describing. It's not just in class group work. I mean, it's much more than that, which, I mean, the part where, you know, they're out in the community, um, you know, meeting people, whether through Zoom now or in person, that, that, that appeals to me. Mm -hmm. And certainly something like public art. Yeah, that sounds cool. So will, do you know, will something come of it? Will the students be able to, I mean, th this art will actually show up in public in Shelton at some point, you hope? Is that the idea? Well, we're 
I mean, we're right right now. We're in the week of the students are starting to upload the images of what they're working on. So I would love to think that someday some of this will actually become real in the community. Um, and I'm certainly not going to get rid of any of these ideas that kids are coming up with. Right. Uh, so I and and the town is does have a va like there's some art here, but there's certainly room for more. So we're um, going to do our best to to get it out there, whether and it might just start with putting something in front of our school. Um, you oh, know, sure. Students have come up with. But yeah. And well, then best of luck with that. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, and then I just want to show another project I have students working on right now is um, and this is a history. No. Yeah. History. We've combined. These are we combine two different subject areas. So this is a history language arts class and we're working with um, immigration as our theme. And we have, we're, so we're actually going to be interviewing people from the community that are immigrants, recent or otherwise. And the students are going to be documenting their stories and we're going to come up with like a storybook of people in our community. Um, and, you know, when you speak to group work, I totally hear you. I know as a teacher, we were taught, taught that it's the, you know, it's the best form of learning and it's so challenging. Um, in the long run, I'm hoping that once we're in person, we really will kind of systematize when there are group work projects, a way that the kids all are participating and all are collaborating. Right. Yeah. You, but you will. <laughs> You'll do it. The um, you know, this reminds me too of uh, Professor Madalena Marinari, uh, my colleague at Gustavus, who's a uh, just a top-notch young immigration historian. I am going to hook the two of you. I haven't done that already, have I? I hook you up with Madalena no. because she's done. She also has done something uh, like you're describing for um, with, or with Gustavus students, um, mm. and I was able to see some of that when I sat in on a class. Just fantastic. I mean, just great. That's a great project. I mean, that's not only you know useful to the students in terms of their learning, but useful to the community too. Um, you know, documenting. Right. Where, so, what kind of just quickly? What kind of immigrant population are we talking about? Where you are? Right. I realized I, I left that out when I was talking about the makeup of Shelton. Is, okay. um, we do have a huge migrant population, people from um, Mexico and Guatemala. Yeah. And it's, it's primarily our shellfish industry here. Um, oh, sure. A lot of fishing and clamming, which is also, you know, so there's shellfish. And then there's also a lot of uh, picking of salal. Salal is, uh, grows wild in our forests, but it's a, it's, it's a plant that's used in the floral industry. Oh. So, so that gets picked a lot too by, um, by our migrant workers. And then, and then just so many of our students are either first gen or, or literally have just shown up. Um, and we're a very, very friendly community in the sense that we, everyone, I, I feel like everyone here is truly welcome, but, but that, you know, that is not the history of the community. There's, right. there, there's still some issues there. Sure. Oh, that's just fantastic. You're doing great work. Both of those projects sound terrific to me. And like like projects I would be interested in, in as a, both as a teacher and as a as a student. Um, as we as we wind down here, I want to give you a chance to reflect on um, Gustavus a bit more. And and you know, imagine you're speaking maybe to one of your students, right? Um, what what's your pitch for Gustavus? Uh, you know, assuming the student has only visited Gustavus and, you know, <laughs> isn't wearing a sweatshirt <laughs> you know, when, when his, his or her mother calls, where do you want to go to college? But in, in all seriousness, what, 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 what's your, what's your pitch for the place looking back on it? 
I think if you want a state-of-the-art education with, but in a small learning community where you're not just a number, I think Gus Davis is where you need to go. I think it's an outstanding, I, I, I can't, I can only say good things. I really, the learn, the education I got at Gus Davis paved the way for the rest of my life. There's no mm. question. That's a great. Well, that's that. I think you just gave me the title of your of, of this conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, I've come to you know, I didn't, I'd never heard of Gustavus before I applied for the job until that day when I saw the ad, and um, but I've come to appreciate more and more what you just said. And I didn't attend a liberal arts college small the way the way my wife Kate did at Bard College or you did at Gustavus. But yeah, I think it's really true, and it's amazing to me talking to alums how no matter the age, how much they still value. Um, you know, their experiences at Gustavus, both in the classroom and, and, and out. So you're just doing great work. I can't wait to be out there one day um, and finally see Washington, <laughs> see you in action in the classroom. That would really be fun. Thank you so much for taking the time. After a long day, I know how teaching is not, <laughs> it's not always, <laughs> it's not always revitalizing. It's, you know, it takes effort, right? And energy. But thank you so much, Luann. It's been awesome speaking with you. Um, and I will never forget that, that, that encounter in Washington, D.C. I really thought those two guys were like maybe a little off, you know, like, I, are you really sure there's someone in there? And, uh, and then I saw you. It was just great. Um, so take good care. Stay safe. Good luck with the. Um, are, you, are you in the, your second second trimester? Where are you at here in the in the, in the teaching? What where are you at? Yeah, we're uh, we're. I think we have about four weeks left in this trimester, and then okay. our plan is to go in person for third trimester. And yet, I'm going to wait and see. I, okay. I, We'll yeah. see if that's really happening. Yeah. Well, here's to, here's to vaccines and, and that happening yeah. sooner rather than later. But um, super proud of you. Fun to chat. Take good care. And we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thank you so all much. Right. Say hi to Gary, too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Learning for Life at Gustavus is produced by J.J. Aiken and Matthew Dobosensky of the Gustavus Office of Marketing. Gustavus graduate Will Clark, class of 20, who also provides technical expertise to the podcast, and me. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Gustavus Adolphus College.